by downloading or listening to this podcast. You are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Moody's Talks Inside Emerging Markets with me, your host, Rahul Ghosh. At a time of near unprecedented economic, financial and social upheaval, we find ourselves in this podcast series aims to tackle the big questions facing emerging market investors. Every fortnight, we'll ask Moody's analysts to untangle important credit issues like the impact of the coronavirus on business models, balance sheets and policy responses worldwide. We'll look to measure just how severe the credit shock will be and what the post-lockdown future will look like. Coming up on today's show, recent downgrades of the Mexican government and domestic energy giant Pemex show how the coronavirus and low oil prices are laying bare credit challenges for even larger emerging market economies. We'll explore to what extent the credit fortunes of both Mexican issuers are intertwined. Pemex situation is unique. Not all oil companies were caught by this pandemic with the same level of financial stress. But first, the Chinese property sector has been one of the most active in EM debt capital markets. It's accounted for three quarters of rated Asian high yield issuance raised last year. So the sector's prospects matter for EM investors. In mid-April, we changed the outlook on China's property sector to negative. This reflected our view of a more adverse fundamental business environment for the industry for the remainder of this year. Well, to walk us through this outlook revision and to discuss the credit environment for property developers in the country, I'm joined by Franco Leung from our corporate finance team in Hong Kong. Thanks for joining us today, Franco. Thanks, Rahul. Okay, so China has been dealing with the fallout from the coronavirus for for longer than most, Franco. Talk us through how this has translated into worsening prospects for the country's property sector. So, first of all, the disruptions from the coronavirus outbreak have had a material impact on the China property sector. Nationwide property sales, for example, declined by around 25% year on year in the first quarter of 2020, and that's mainly caused by the nationwide lockdown to prevent the spread of the virus. And if we look forward, we're forecasting a sales decline of 5 to 10% in 2020, and that's mainly driven by the China's slowing economic growth. The weaker economy in 2020 will likely weigh on housing demand as there will be uncertainty over job security and household income. And on the policy side, we expect the restrictive policy stance on the property sector will remain because property prices are still going up. And if you look at the latest policy statements, the Chinese government has reiterated that it will not use the property sector to stimulate economic growth. So the policy tone of housing is for living and not for speculation will remain unchanged in the foreseeable future. Lastly, the nationwide inventory level reached a multi-year high of around 16 months in February. And we expect inventory levels to improve gradually in the next few months, but it will remain high throughout 2020 because of the sluggish property sales. Mm, So weaker fundamentals, as you mentioned, on, on the sales side, high inventories. Presumably that doesn't augur well for developers. Uh, So should we be braced for a major credit deterioration or perhaps even a large swathe of defaults in the sector? Well, the short answer is not really. 
our rate developers have outperformed the market in the past, right? And we expect them to continue to do so. That's because they have larger operating scale, more established brand, uh, higher quality land banks, and very importantly, better access to funding than the thousand other smaller and financially weaker unrated developers. Now, we've recently done an assessment on rated developers refinancing risk to try to understand the likelihood of default. And we found that most of the rated developers can address their debt maturities in the coming 12 to 18 months. And in particular, the onshore funding condition will remain accommodative given the latest monitoring policy easing. And while the offshore funding conditions are more uncertain, we estimate that outrated developers have the offshore resources available to cover a large part of their offshore maturities. Okay, thanks, Franco. So it looks like at least for the next 12 to 18 months, uh, property developers look in decent shape. But of course, sectors fortunes beyond that are interesting as well. What signals are you looking for? What are you watching to determine if the outlook for the sector will stabilize? We will look for a few developments, right? First of all, if we expect a year-on-year property sales to stabilize during the remainder of 2020 and increase of zero to 5% on a sustained basis uh, nationwide, then is one of the signals right, to consider changing the sector outlook back to stable. Another factor would be for inventory to decrease significantly from the currently high level. And the last factor would be for the offshore funding conditions to become more stable. Now, these conditions could develop if the Chinese government introduces policies such as loosening housing price caps and eligibility requirements for home purchases and loosening restrictions on bank and trust loans to the property sector. Okay, well, looks like a lot to keep monitoring. Well, thank you very much for sharing your insights, Franco. And for those of you interested in the very latest in our credit research, rating actions, and upcoming webinars, check out our newly launched Moody's Live site at live.moody's.com for more. Earlier this month, we downgraded the government of Mexico's credit rating for the first time ever, reflecting an unfavorable mix of growth, fiscal, and institutional challenges that the coronavirus has made worse. A key driver of the action was the sovereign's linkages to energy company Petroleus Mexicanos, or Pemex, which itself was downgraded to below investment grade. So to discuss the prospects for both the government and Pemex, I'm really pleased to welcome Ariane ortiz Bolin from our sovereign team in New York and Nimia Almeida from our corporate finance group in Mexico. Okay, so I'd like to kick off by asking you both to briefly outline the recent racing actions taken and why the outlook for both the Mexican government and Pemex remains negative. Ariane, perhaps we could start with you at a country level. Of course. As you mentioned, we downgraded Mexico's rating from A3 to BAA1, and we maintained the negative outlook. And we have three main reasons for this. One is that we think Mexico's economic growth prospects have weakened. The second is that the deterioration in Pemex financial operation standing is having an impact on the government's fiscal and debt metrics, given the need for recurrent and substantial support that this company has. And the third reason is that we think that there's a weaker decision-making process behind the government, and there's also lower institutional capacity. And that is really limiting the government's ability to respond effectively to the different shocks that they face. And if we go a little bit deeper onto these three factors, for example, the lower medium-term growth prospects, we think that Mexico will have subdued growth in the next years from 2021 to 2023, even beyond the impact 
of the large economic contraction that we expect in 2020. We think that Mexico at best will grow close to 2%. And this is an important departure from the historical average that Mexico has been recording, which was something like 2.7%. It's also a deterioration from what we expected, what would be something at least more than 3% growth after the implementation of a broad range of structural reforms. Now we think that the implementation of those reforms has been uneven at best, and some of the reforms have been reversed, which gives us limited hope for this uh, materialization of a higher uh, growth rate to happen. Nimia, we also downgraded uh, Pemex to uh, below investment grade. Talk us through uh, the rationale for that action. Indeed, uh, we, we downgraded the company uh, two notches because we believe that the credit risk of Pemex is higher now. Uh, first, because of the weak liquidity and higher business risk. And second, because of its supporter, right? The government of Mexico is weaker now after the downgrade. As you know, oil companies are vulnerable to volatile commodity prices, but Pemex even more so because of its high debt burden and inflexible investment commitment related to the country's goal to maintain oil production stable as much as possible and be feel uh, self-sufficient before 2022 by expanding its refining business in times of carbon transition, as you know. So basically, we, we believe that Pemex will generate larger negative free cash flow in 2020 and 2021, and will have to cover that cash need with committed credit facilities this year. But next year, the company will have to borrow further or depend on more government support to pay maturing debt and capital expenditures. Mm, yeah, we're, we're hearing about uh, revised growth expectations at the country level. Uh, and for Pemex itself, Namir, you mentioned weaker revenues uh, and cash flow concerns. I wonder, are the Mexican sovereign and Pemex both victims of the unforeseen shock of the coronavirus and low oil prices? This was, of course, uh, unprecedented and unforeseen? Uh, or alternatively, is this merely the crystallization of weaknesses that have perhaps built up over some time? Ariane, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Rahul, at Moody's, we're taking a measure approach. We're looking beyond the current shock that we know it's impacting all countries across the board. All countries are going to face significant economic contractions. Their fiscal deficits are going to go up, as well as their debt levels. And we're saying that we're willing to look past through this as long as the country ends up in a position that is sustainable and that will not lead to further deterioration. In the case of Mexico, we think that these shocks have only amplified credit weaknesses that have been building up over time. So this, this has little to do, at least from the sovereign perspective, with the coronavirus shock and more to do with credit weaknesses that were prevalent before. Okay, that's that's interesting. And Nimia, does a similar story hold true for, for Pemex? Yes, uh, Rahul, I would say so. I'd say that the, in the case of Pemex, lower cash flows and worse credit metrics are consequences of both the effect of the global economic downturn and the company's intrinsic financial weakness. Pemex is a victim of the coronavirus pandemic, sure, like everybody else. But remember that not all oil companies were caught by this pandemic with the same level of financial stress. So I would say that Pemex situation is unique also because of its role as the vehicle of growth and development 
uh, of the energy industry in Mexico, despite its little flexibility to invest and increase profitability, mostly because of its high tax burden and its lack of technology as well to operate in deep waters where most of the prospect oil resources in Mexico are. Thanks very much, Namia. And we'll talk a little bit more about the refinancing situation in Pemex in just a moment. But zooming out again, Ariane, for, for any country, effective policymaking is perhaps even more critical uh, during times of crisis like we find ourselves in. Um, maybe you can talk us through the third driver you mentioned at the outset around policymaking, institutional capacity. How has that evolved in Mexico in recent years? And how has this factored into your views on sovereign credit quality? In the case of Mexico, we think that institutional capacity has weakened. And this is because, as I was mentioning earlier, policy decisions by the government have altered business sentiment and are limiting growth prospects. Decisions like the cancellation of projects that were already underway and the lack of clarity on the role private sector will play in the energy sector are creating an uncertain regulatory environment that is affecting investment prospects. In addition, we think that the government has conflicting policy objectives that so far have been living in tension with one another, but it is becoming increasingly difficult for the authorities to sustain this policy stance over time. And therefore, this increases the risk of an abrupt policy shift in the medium term. Now, what are these government policy objectives? Well, the government wants to maintain fiscal austerity support Pemex, and at the same time, meet important, uh, aggressive social objectives that were promised during campaign. And we think that in time, this is going to be very hard for them to be able to deliver on these promises. Now, in the short term, however, we think that the government will continue to adhere to a very austere fiscal stance, one that leads to a limited fiscal response to the pandemic and therefore provides little to counter the very severe economic shock. And we think that there is a higher risk of a deeper, longer economic contraction, which would ultimately affect government's revenues in the future. So overall, we think that the government's capacity to respond and manage shocks effectively has weakened. Moving back to Pemex, Nimia, uh, you mentioned the debt burden earlier. It's likely to rise uh, uh, this year at a time when the company's struggling to generate cash flow. Do you think the company will be able to successfully manage its debt maturities this year and next? And how does this government support story you know, fit into your future expectations? We believe they will be able to, to manage their maturities because the company has committed credit facilities that it will most likely draw from this year. But in 2021, these revolvers will no longer be available. So our base case assumes that the government will have to help the company one way or another so it can comply with its debt payments, obligations, or capital expenditures in 2021. Okay, thank you. Well, let's stick uh, with the theme of 2021. Uh, and finally, perhaps, Ariane, giving you the last word, the country will head to the ballot box next year for state and local elections. How do you think the election campaign will influence the country's credit picture going forward? That's an important question. And also as important and perhaps more than the state and local elections are the legislative elections. Because currently the government has a strong majority in Congress, but the possibility of them losing this majority means also that they'll have 
more difficultly in uh, pursuing their own uh, agenda. So it will be critical for the government to try to maintain this majority, and therefore we think that they'll face some pressure to ramp up spending to support their popularity ahead of these elections, which could then wait on the, on the debt metric as well. Okay, well, thank you so much, Ariane and Nimia. I think it's been a fascinating discussion beyond Pemex and the Mexican government, the broader question of multilateral and government support for strategically important debt issuers. I think it's going to remain a really important credit consideration in emerging markets over the coming months and quarters. And thank you all for listening. This has been Moody's Talks Inside Emerging Markets. And don't forget, if you've enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our research and upcoming events, go to moody's.com forward slash emerging markets. So until next time, thanks for joining us. Thank you.